Hey everyone, welcome back to Roll for Enterprise. As usual, I'm joined by Mike and Zach and frequent guest Lilac. Well, we decided to make it official, and so Lilac is also joining us as a permanent co-host. Lilac, do you want to remind the listeners of your background, just so everyone knows where you're coming from? Goodness, I barely know where I'm coming from. Um, I run go-to-market strategy right now for a software company in Boston called Rocket Software. My background is in product marketing, and before that, in a, uh, I would say, an, an attempted uh, programming background, which um, turned sideways and became a business side of tech thing. And it's been about 20 years of that. Now, that's interesting. We will be talking later in the show about career advice and kind of taking the example of our own career paths uh, and to perhaps help people think about what they want to do uh, in this pretty vast industry with uh, lots of different possibilities. But first this week, Let's talk cloud, yes, again. Uh, the big three have reported their earnings, so we can compare the growth across the three of them. So Amazon, unsurprisingly, was gigantic. Uh, Azure was ticking along nicely. To me, the big story was Google. Uh, they broke out their uh, cloud earnings for, I believe, the first time. And it's uh, it's making a loss, which is perhaps not surprising. They're investing for future growth. But it's not clear exactly how big that loss is because it doesn't just include what you might think of as Google Cloud, but also all the Google apps, you know, docs and spreadsheets and whatnot uh, business. So it's a little bit confusing to decode exactly how much of the infrastructure and sort of developer-focused services are in there versus the user-facing stuff. It, it was kind of scary small when you compare it to the, the Amazon number, to be honest. Yeah, nobody's on the same scale as Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean I mean nowhere close. I think Google's revenue was like below three billion, where the other one's topping like almost thirteen billion now a quarter. So yeah, it's tiny. I mean tiny, and that's number three. I I, I would assume uh, in in terms of it. So it just gives, uh, it just shows the scale of AWS and how they uh, they continue to grow. Yeah, very much so. But. I, is anything in here surprising? I mean, we all knew Amazon's huge. Azure is making a decent fist of catching up, especially talking to large enterprise. And Google is trailing because they kind of missed the boat. And they've been talking to developers and not to buyers and maybe lost developers' faith a little bit. Does that sound like what we were expecting? Do you, do you feel that way? I there was a there was a time when we would have said that Amazon wasn't talking to buyers and particularly enterprise buyers, um, and that enterprise buyers needed hugs and steak dinners or something, and that Amazon basically was like, yeah, you do you, <laughs> like we're good, um, and uh, and somehow they seem to have overcome that, <laughs> and maybe maybe by force of their scale or, or their pricing or their or their features, but um, this sort of idea that that you have to court the buyers didn't seem to hinder the Amazon growth at all. Amazon's at a $50 billion run rate. I, I think they are going to evolve. All the cloud companies will. They they have to. They're not going to continue this run rate, in my opinion, just or this uh, this growth without that evolution. I think their future probably lies in the low-code, no-code uh, movement that's going on. Um, and then again, Andy Jassy would tell you something different, both at reInvent 
back in December and in his uh, taking over from Jeff Bezos talk, he keeps on referencing the fact that uh, very few workloads are running in the cloud in proportion. There's still a huge market to be addressed. So he definitely sounds like he's seeing a lot of growth. <laughs> and, and and he mentioned it again in his uh, his like letter to AWS. Yeah, the email to employees, about, yeah. Yeah, the email to employees. I mean, at the end, it was, um, you know, that it was almost like a rallying cry that, you know, we haven't captured the market. There's still way more out there. Let's go get it. I mean, and they're growing at 30% compared to 50. So I, I think, Lilac, I, you're, you're right. I mean, they are starting to really focus on what's out there that they haven't captured and just going, um, you know, all out for it. That, that That's the feeling I get. Well, they're, they're evolving, right? That's what you're saying. But let I me mean, also listen to what you're saying. What do you want them to say? Hey, we've reached the pinnacle. We're done. Everybody just take the back seat and relax. We got this. Let's coast. No, of course. He has to say that. There's I, the I don't know. I mean, being like, this is marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's the truth, right? What what do you want him to say? I mean, they yes, they are targeting other other ventures. I mean, other ventures, but other verticals. I mean, Industry 4.0, right? We talked about the whole, you know, what the manufacturing, what their focus was at AWS reInvent. We talked about the services side. So there's going to be some growth there, no doubt. But they have to evolve. I mean, just being a, a compute, you know, uh, having a compute instance, and I know people argue they do a lot more than that. But at the end of the day, they're a developer cloud. I mean, that's what they do. That's what Google does. And Satya's got a different kind of model. I mean, to me, that's more of a SaaS offering. So I think they're on different playing fields. Microsoft's the only one who's also not announcing their kind of run rate for Azure, which is, is quite interesting that they're they're kind of keeping it under wraps. But, but maybe they're I, – I, I'm starting to get the feeling they are – are not showing it because they don't want to wake up Amazon. I think by far Satya is the savviest player in all this, in this whole game, right? It's a close one thing, uh, but yeah, definitely. And there was a, a tweet I was looking for earlier and I can't find it right now because Twitter search sucks, but I'll try to put this in the, uh, in the show notes. Uh, it was Corey Quinn uh, saying, you know, the old joke about uh, heaven is where, the cooks are French and the lovers are Italian. It's all organized by the Swiss, but done in, cl- <laughs> done in cloud. So the cloud version of that was, you know, sales model by Microsoft, developer experience by Google, infrastructure by Amazon, uh, and so the, the the sales by Oracle. <laughs> and then there, and then there was a hell version, and it was still the sales by Oracle. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think that that was kind of epitomizing the. The way we see those cloud vendors, it was one of those, oh, it's funny because it's true moments. I don't know. and they, the, the, These results do not surprise me. They match up to, to what I see kind of every day. And Google Cloud seems to have niche offerings is probably the best way to say it. If you, if you want that, then they have definitely got that for you. But they... They went down the wrong path at the time of Google App Engine, or arguably was the right path at the wrong time, and they never really came back from that. Whereas Amazon, and this is why I think it's so inspired uh, that uh, Jassy's taking over from Bezos, it's that such a logical evolution of the model. I mean, Amazon.com got started with these undifferentiated units that could easily be exchanged for each other, which was books. They were easy to... Uh, store and transport and they're, they're not fragile they don't degrade uh, I mean, have some you know, floods or whatever and 
AWS works the same way. It started from the primitives, but in both cases, they built up on those uh, primitive building blocks. And now you can get anything from Amazon. It's the everything store. And AWS is kind of going the same way. You can get pretty much what you need, whatever that is. And not everything is for everyone, but uh, everything is for someone. Is that the approach they're taking? Is that, you think, the, the differentiator in how they're all kind of going to market? No, I think that's Amazon's differentiator. That and their willingness to iterate and try stuff. And even if something fails, they've learned something. And the biggest example was the Fire Phone. But they do that all the time also with uh, more obscure technical services. They try something out. If someone likes it, they, they keep doing it and they build it. And if it doesn't reach their revenue projections or whatever, then, uh, oh, well, never mind. We learned something from that too. So it's not like Google where it feels capricious and there's the Google graveyard of abandoned services. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is. Bring back Google Reader. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Google Stadia is the latest uh, big service to go down, by the way, if if you'd missed that one. Um, The Amazon ones, no. When they kill something, it's like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. It's... uh, and they don't kill stuff that often, even if just a few people are using it, but it's washing its own face, it's paying its own way, then fine, keep it ticking along. And it's uh, just a very, very different approach. Uh, Amazon, so Amazon is starting to see things in a much longer term perspective, whereas I think Google is now focused on uh, maximizing value for everything. So yeah, they're not going to get scared to, to shut stuff, to open stuff. And I, I think you know, Google X or whatever it is, I think they're starting to take less chances, if I if I could say. That, that's that's what it feels like to me. Um, where Amazon is still kind of taking chances here and there. And I, I guess you're right, Dominic, that, that's the kind of um, uh, philosophy they're taking to AWS. All these products and, yeah, let's see what sticks and what grows. And, hey, and if it doesn't, let's just keep it there on the side and somebody will use it and, and we keep going from there. But that doesn't, so that sort of works, right? That sort of works. But then if I put on a product management hat, which is not a hat I wear very often, but it's fun sometimes, that (laughs) we say, you know, it's going to wash its own face and pay its own way, or Dominic says that, I don't say that. Um, But the... The truth is, though, you you can do that on the back of the fact that nobody's making five technical support calls a year on that product, right? Because if you have to maintain a stable of individuals who can answer the tech support queue on that thing or fix the bugs or update the patches for the latest OS or whatever, the the bar it takes to pay your own way from a product management perspective is much, much higher. And I, and I think that's where Amazon is so different. Like, they don't care if they're going to lose money for so long. And I think they are, They want are, to. They, they want to lose money, right? They're one company that everybody forgives for losing money for so long to make the, the long-term play. I mean, you know, the other staggering number from, from Amazon is they grew revenue overall company-wise 44% last year. I mean, what kind – and I, I don't consider them like a, a startup or um, like such a growing company anymore, but who at that scale – grows 44%. I mean, 
there's a there's a definite problem there. I mean, it's just I mean, a pandemic doesn't hurt when nobody can leave, and the only way to get Q-tips <laughs> is from Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I know and, and you've been think... ordering from Amazon a lot. <laughs> yeah, and and I don't think it's going to go down after the like when we return to normal. I, I don't think that's going to go back down. I, I think this is this is the way it's going to be because it's just yeah, it's convenient. Who cares? Let's go. But, but to Mike's point, that's impressive. I mean, you're a large cap as big as they are, a trillion dollar market cap, and you're growing double digits. That's unheard of. These companies that become large caps, they might grow 2 3% if they're lucky in a year. And here we are. We're talking about Amazon growing as a startup. Mike, you have a great point. That trajectory is unreal. I mean, they will probably be standing atop of uh, Apple as, an, as you know the highest valued uh, company in the world here real soon. But, you know, we're talking about the big three. But how about, I mean, I say this sincerely. How about IBM Software? How about Alibaba overseas? I mean, are they doing things right? Is Amazon going to take over the world or just the U.S.? I, I thought I, I thought IBM showed decline in, in cloud, so I, I I don't think they're even a factor here, to be honest. And somebody might be insulted by that, but that's uh, and, and sort of a a light a light defense of the IBM cloud. I will say they're they're trying to do something different, right? I I I don't know that like whether they will succeed or not. Time will tell. But I think that their entire perspective is not to hit up and get the workloads of a million upstart SaaS companies, of which some of them will become, I don't know, Zynga, right? And Netflix. Their, their, their whole shtick is actually to serve the Fortune 500. And that is an entirely different operating model. Um, when you think like soup to nuts, from a sales model to a support model, to even the workloads that you could host on that cloud, you, know, you could put a mainframe on the IBM cloud, right? And the, the Amazon has very little to offer in some of those domains. Um, and so I think the, in, I think it's just sort of apples to oranges, which doesn't mean that they shouldn't, that we shouldn't expect a growth rate from it and we shouldn't expect metrics of success. But I don't believe there's anything about that strategy that is seeking to overtake the scale of Amazon or even Google. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's fair. And I've had it's, occasional- It's always about all the other stuff at, at, at IBM. <laughs> Always about all the other stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so th that's IBM. IBM has its its own thing going on. I think it's not in the same basket. Uh, so where Oracle is trying to play the same game, or at least say they are, uh, <laughs> IBM is not, so we can give them a pass on that. China's a different story. Uh, it's very much its own market, despite attempts by both Tencent and Alibaba to, to break out internationally. Uh, it's still very much they, they play in China and the the Western big three don't by and large. And so I don't think you, you can really compare them. They don't play in the same playing field. I mean, AWS is in China. There's stuff going on, but it, it's isolated from the rest of AWS. It doesn't have the same services or the same versions, weird restrictions. It's, it's not the same thing. Or I mean, do you, any of you see... The Chinese cloud providers in any non-Chinese market? I, it's it's going to take a long time. I, I I don't I don't see them in any non-Chinese market, and I think it'll take a long time to to get over the stigma. At least things are going to have to change. Like I, I think we said this last time, Europe will adopt one of them, and and then the rest of the rest of Europe will follow, and that's how they grow. Uh, but that will take time. Well, much like happened with Huawei, uh, but then. That, yeah. that looks like it's not maybe working out so well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. let's let's avoid getting caught up in geopolitics in the hope that we can ever travel again and uh, we don't get in trouble at some border somewhere. But yeah, I mean, 
once again, to me, there was nothing especially surprising except the Google, the Google Cloud incorporating Google Docs, Google Apps uh, revenue in there. So kind of obscuring how comparable their numbers are to others. They were expecting a loss, but even including Google Apps, that's uh, a little bit more surprising. And so a lot of the conversation on the various slacks that I'm in has been who takes uh, Jassy's job now? And uh, lots of names being passed around. Someone said Werner Vogels. Uh, personally, I don't see it. I think he's much happier being a CTO and technical visionary. I don't think he would want to take over uh, Jesse's old job. And there are a couple of other names being passed around. Any of them jump out to, to you lot? I don't know. I, I, I don't know enough of them to, to have an opinion or, or, or know who's, who would be in the running there. It'll definitely be somebody internal, though. They're, they're, there's no way they're going to go external on this one. Entirely agree. This is a name that everybody is going internally will have have seen coming. Yeah, everyone will go. Oh, yeah, that makes total sense, and we'll all go. Who? <laughs> well, he'll still have his hands on it as much as he can. I don't know if he can completely let go, and, and he shouldn't. But yeah, internally makes the most sense. You almost have to do that. I'd be interested to see how his management of the non-cloud Amazon plays out, because that's a very different business. It's got a different set of financials, different set of goals. You know, uh, when we did our prediction show, I I thought Amazon would break out AWS. I, I don't think that's going to happen anymore now. Um, why is because I, you know, I think if you look at Jazzy and, and the way he was starting to bring up his um, persona, doing a lot more public speaking, being very arrogant outside, I'm like, okay, he, he wants to become a CEO. Uh, and how do you get there? You you spin out AWS. But now that he's taken over the whole of Amazon, I, I think it just entrenches uh, AWS into Amazon. I mean, they're going to fight, uh, you know, uh, the DOJ, DOJ on um, on antitrust to the yeah uh, until until the end. So I, I don't think they're going to give in to to anything now. And you know, I. Like, why would Jazzy want to take the whole Amazon show? I mean, there's so much litigation. I mean, to me, I think Bezos just doesn't want to go testify in front of uh, in front of governments everywhere. And yeah, now here you have yeah. Jazzy, and and he's going to do it. I mean, it's it's a bit insane. I mean, who would want this job? I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to to be honest. I mean, you get all the hazard pay in the world, right? If he, if he, right. <laughs> yeah. This is if this is the last thing he does, he he probably can have this. He probably didn't have to do this for this to be the last thing he needed in order to retire. But if this is the last thing he does, that'll be just fine. Yeah, yeah. that was my thinking as well. Jeff Bezos has done dodging bullets. He hires a guy to take the bullets for him for a few years. And when that guy's done, we'll have someone else stand up. But I think the spinning out, sorry, Zach, we'll get uh, just one thing. I think the talk of spinning Amazon out is a misunderstanding of how Amazon and AWS are related. And there's this myth that everyone has heard and uh, maybe even believed at one time that the origin story for AWS was that Amazon had spare capacity because they over-provisioned for holiday spikes. But even in the early days, you didn't see them kicking people off uh, during the holidays to make room for their own stuff, right? Uh, it's more the other way around. Amazon is the first and best customer for their own internal services. So these services that have massive fixed costs they start with some kind of guaranteed built-in demand. So if you go in there and look at it with a spreadsheet, you can say, oh, okay, maybe you could uh, buy this more cheaply in the market. 
but that's a market that has been largely created by Amazon and that has formed around the existence of AWS. Everything refers back to, to Amazon and AWS. So splitting the two off, I don't think would solve any antitrust problems and it would uh, potentially severely distort the enterprise IT markets as well. I was going to say, you know, a $100 billion quarter, the first one for Amazon, what a time to step down while you're on top. But I also, when we talk cloud, you know, everybody thinks the big three, but do we also, do you guys include SaaS? I, I think of SaaS, I often forget that to me, SaaS is uh, is kind of left out in all of this. And so, you know, I go back to my, my view of AWS as a dev uh, developers, you know, DevOps kind of cloud, but are they really offering, you know, applications and, you know, SaaS type offerings? Are you thinking of like force.com as an, all, you know, another player in this game? Well, I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking like Salesforce, uh, anybody, you know, that has a, you know, SaaS offering, for example, are we, you know, do we count that in all of this? You know, Microsoft is, is really offering, in my opinion, uh, you so, know, computing and everything. Yeah. So Google counts like their G Suite or workplace, workspaces, workplaces, whatever they call it these days into their, their cloud revenue. And, and to be honest, considering Microsoft's the only company who doesn't, I, I bet it's because Microsoft has a hard time. Uh, saying where Office 365 revenue goes, because to me that's that's a SaaS, right? And it, it's it's part of Azure, but not really. And and then they have that whole Office unit, which has been their cash cow for so long. And I bet you with their e licensing, it's still their biggest cash cow. So probably they don't want to show it for the simple reason that you know do you include it, do you not include it, and and then people will compare you in size. And and yeah, there are people who out there who are going to say, well, you know this is the biggest player that's who we're going to go with Bingo. And, and probably they have they have a hard time showing it so microsoft's at the point where they're stuck in like uh, you know do we or don't we and, and let's face it amazon has to show it because of the potential breakup that everybody kind of waits for no one's going to break up microsoft and say oh you need to spin this out if anything spins out it's like the gaming and and these 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 companies they've acquired that have been really kind of uh, awkward, which they're probably doing just for for data for AI. Uh, I mean, that's that, yeah. that's the bottom. If Microsoft line of it. didn't get broken up last time. They're not getting broken up this time. I don't think. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. And, and they're the smartest ones in all of this, right? They stay pretty quiet. They kind of address it. They, they're very thoughtful in what they do. Um, yeah, they have and lots I of think, corporate reflexes yeah. around this yeah. sort of event because they've been through it before. And uh, Lilac, I think it was uh, when you and I were working together uh, that I stumbled across a saying that I've uh, stuck with all the, all this time. It's policy is scar tissue from previous events. Uh, and our employer at the time had some significant scar tissue, which did not make sense to me until someone explained to me the specific history, which I'm not going to recount here because I don't want to be sued. But uh, there, there was an explanation for all of that policy if you went and looked at the news a, a few years previous. And I think that's the same for certainly for Microsoft. We all know what happened there. Uh, but most times when there's some ridiculous policy that does not make sense, the explanation is either institutional trauma or taxes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's definitely true. I mean, and I think we can actually watch that institutional trauma pass sort of generation to generation because we saw what what Microsoft's damage became VMware's damage, right? And and you can see waves of executives sort of moving through an industry. And then we talked about Pat Gelsinger moving from VMware to, to Intel and what is he bringing with him in terms of preconceived notions about things like this. And um, and you bring the strategy, you bring the strategic approach, you bring the, the the customs and the behaviors, but you also bring the trauma. 
Yeah, and perhaps people couldn't tell you why they do it anymore. It's just no, that's the policy. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. But, yeah, I mean, we see that all the time on the on the sort of go to market side. Is one of the areas that this this is a micro topic, but you know, to what extent is is, is everything legally reviewed and approved before it hits like the interwebs? Right? Does a le does legal approve every web page? Does legal approve every tweet? Does legal not touch anything that isn't a written contract? Right? And um and every company I've been at has had a different approach to this, and um they're not. They're not universal. You can't make a blanket statement that they're universally good or bad in one way or another. I've had extremely positive experiences with a lot of oversight and extremely negative experiences without any. Um, but it all sort of just bespeaks a, a moment where somebody got sued for something and therefore implemented a plan. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's see. Uh, Jesse said that uh, at least a couple of quarters before he announces anything. And so we can keep on following this one. But, so but, does anybody want to? Is, is Jazzy more of a Satya, or is he more of a Steve Ballmer in the in the history arc of uh, of Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> well, but the fact that you say that is significant already, right? The fact that both Microsoft and Amazon now have promoted the person who yeah. ran their hugely successful cloud initiatives to run the whole shop, and that shows cloud is no longer a sideshow. Cloud is, um, by every right, sitting at the big table. But wait a yeah. minute, there's a lot of differences. Uh, and Lilac brought up a good point earlier. I mean, Amazon's a logistics company. They're an online retailer. There are a lot of different things. What happens to, to you know, to the uh, healthcare initiative, the, some of the things they were working on at Amazon? A little bit different. Microsoft isn't that, or they'd be in D.C. right now, right, on the antitrust trials, you know, you know, speaking. They're not there for a reason. No, but they, so, were, they were in D.C., but they're talking in back rooms. They're not. <laughs> in the, in oh, come on. No, no, this is totally different. For us to just, you know, throw a blanket over it and say, yeah, it's kind of like Satya. And then, well, Microsoft's a pure play technology company for the most part. So that is a tad bit different than, in my opinion, than this. So to think that, oh, it's said and done, he's going to be, it's a logical choice, he's going to be super successful, I, I don't know. And, you know, do we have other people that leave because maybe they're unhappy? Maybe they were in line or maybe. They, they feel that he doesn't understand the core of their business, which is still online retail. It's not AWS. So I, I, I'm not saying that wasn't a great choice. I'm just saying that it's a, uh, it's a different world, and it's totally, uh, it's a totally different. I don't think they're um, comparable. He's probably the best PR public speaker they can put out there to be the face of the company because that's what they really need right now. I, I would bet. And to be honest, like from what he, from if you think about like reinvent and the arrogance, it's like whoa. I, I don't know. Is that your best choice? Because I, I don't know if you want somebody so arrogant at the helm right now. I mean, Bezos exactly. was pretty. Bezos was pretty quiet, right? I mean, he wasn't there. I don't know. So. When I saw him at the first reinvent, I was dazzled by his dreams. <laughs> I would, my, my feeling is that if you're in this kind of role, it has to necessarily be like a cabinet position, right? Like you have to have a cabinet of a strong set of people who understand the sub components of the business. There's no way a single individual, regardless of how brilliant and, and how much time they have could possibly be expert at the entire Amazon business, including Bezos, by the way. Um, and so then I think the question is, is this arrogance that we perceive a public front, right, which is definitely fine. Like people have personas and brands that they choose to go to market with as an individual leader in an organization. Or do, how does it manifest in the ongoing operations of the of the company? Is he coming in with that same bravado in a way that 
is off-putting to the people who've been leading these, let's call them traditional divisions all this time, or is he actually taking a, a, an intelligent cabinet approach? And I would argue that any leader at this scale, and frankly, at even very much smaller scales, that doesn't have a strong and trusted cabinet of people that are supporting them is is basically not not going to be successful because their own personal blind spots and the space-time continuum that precludes them from knowing everything is going to be their downfall. And Jesse, of all people, should know that because he started out, uh, or start, he didn't start out, but one of his key executive steps was as chief of staff to Bezos. Yeah, so he so he should yeah. know that, or he should have studied it. But I don't know how Bezos operates either, right? And and sometimes. There's a difference between sort of luck and strategy, right? And and that is often the mistake is that people people conflate the two. Um, and so I actually don't I don't think we know the truth, by the way. And I, maybe somebody's written a tell all and I haven't read it. And maybe maybe somebody will write a tell all and we'll all read it. But um, or maybe think, someone has it in their drawer waiting for the NDA to expire. Right, right. But like, <laughs> but at some level, like that that sort of way in which an organization operates is, I think, really really determinative of its success more than the bravado of a of an individual on a stage stage which can really be contrived i mean the amazon's saving grace and the source of their problems as is often the case is that it's an extremely decentralized organization so it takes a while to turn a ship like that especially when it's not actually a ship it's a flotilla of two pizza boats it's a coin <laughs> of phrase <laughs> now, we're actually running kind of late, so let's uh, postpone the career talk to next week and do a quick round of recommendations and uh, close the the recording up for this week. And let's go in reverse order this time, because I always go first. Uh, so let's start with Zach this time instead. All right. Well, so my recommendation is the Aura strap for your uh, Apple Watch. It really turns it into a biometric device. I mean, it reads everything from from fitness to, you know, your fat muscle volume, hydration levels. It's uh, I don't have one, but um, I don't even have an Apple Watch. But I'm thinking about buying an Apple Watch here soon, and um, this might be something I, I buy with it. It just seems like it's uh, pretty powerful. So the link and the summary will be in the notes section. I'm kind of curious about that because if you don't know, iOS 14.5 adds a key feature, which is the ability to unlock your iPhone with your watch. And in these days when we're all wearing masks all the time, Face ID is, of course, completely useless. And so I've been kind of low-key waiting for Apple to release this. In fact, I was expecting them to do it sooner. And it turns out the reason it's complicated, something I hadn't realized, is the iPhone is unlocked Pardon me, the iWatch, the Apple Watch is unlocked by the iPhone. So then reversing that flow and unlocking the iPhone with the watch was actually a non-trivial exercise for Apple. So it does make sense it took them a minute. This is like but negative one-factor authentication? Something like that, yeah. You have neither one nor the other. But <laughs> I, I have... Go ahead, Dominic. No, as I was saying, so now for the first time, I'm actually considering an Apple Watch just for this. So the question is... How long is the daily mask wearing continuing? And then divide that by 300 bucks, which is the cost of the, the entry-level Apple Watch, and deciding whether it's worth it. But uh, I'm definitely considering it for the first time. Wow. So I, I'm not an Apple Watch. I, I don't have an Apple Watch, and I don't have a desire to get an Apple Watch. I, I guess, Zach, you said you didn't have one. Dominic said he didn't have one. Lilac, do you have an Apple Watch? Uh, absolutely not. Um, but that's partly because I don't wear a watch, because it's 2021. <laughs> 
and the time is always blinking in my face from everywhere around the world. This is true, but uh, watches are jewelry for guys, right? I love my watches, notes plural, because (laughs) I pick and choose for the day and the outfit and the activity and whatnot. I am wearing earrings and a necklace right now, so I maybe don't have the same need. But you are welcome to wear earrings and a necklace as well, all of you. It would cause comment around here. Uh, so enough about Apple Watches. Anyone have anything non-Apple to recommend? I guess I have a silly one this week that's really taken over my household. Um, I didn't realize you could play Ticket to Ride online. Um, and you can. And here in these pandemic times, Ticket to Ride is a, a nice, engaging game. Um, but most of the people we would play with, with are not actually anywhere near us physically. Um, and so my child and my family has been really into it. And I think they did a really cute job with it, complete with the um, peculiar old-timey piano music and um, all the different boards and so forth, which that's their freemium model is you get the US for free and anyone else, you know, you pay $5 or whatever. Um, and it's actually been really, really fun. Uh, it's It's been very engaging, very fun, hours of time spent playing with cousins and family and things. So that's my recommendation. Go check them out. They have, I think, for Google Play and the Apple, and I, I think there's a PC version as well. Yeah, I have the Apple version. I can't get anyone interested in board games in this house. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, oh, the last one out. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I've uh, I've picked up one of these like Anchor Bluetooth uh, speakers. So Anchor stuff is like kind of great, like chargers for for iPhones. Now that they're not giving any, and and I, I use them quite a bit. And I picked up their Bluetooth speaker and. It actually works quite easily, uh, even shifting from one device uh, to to another. So I've been pretty impressed with it. Good battery, take it everywhere. So yeah, not that we're going many places, but when you're outside, you know. So yeah, that's my recommendation. Good, good. And so not only do you have the time blinking from everywhere, you also have sounds blaring from everywhere. It's great. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, well. If you enjoyed this uh, four-host episode of Roll for Enterprise, uh, that's now going to be the format from now on, except when one of us is busy, uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Roll for Enterprise or on our LinkedIn page. We will be talking career advice next week as well as anything that comes up in the news and catches our eye, but do send us suggestions uh, for topics and or guests for future episodes. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.